This is the Growth and Greatness e-commerce podcast, powered by Right Hook Digital, with your hosts Scott Seward and Raymond Johnston. If you're an e-commerce brand founder, entrepreneur, or marketer looking to accelerate profitable growth for your business, then listen in, because this is the podcast for you. All right, welcome back. We have a very exciting episode this week. So we've got Tyler Berglund with us. He is a senior strategist at Ride Hook and one of our big guns. Tyler, welcome to the podcast. Yo, yo, thanks for having welcome, me. Tyler. It's really good to have you, man. And I'm pumped to have this chat today because we're the last few weeks we've kind of been you know, reviewing 2020. Um, looking what's been happening in the landscape of, of iOS 14 and, and thinking a little bit more macro, I guess, in our discussions. But today, we're, we're going to get a little bit more strategic and, and look at what the journey of taking a brand from that early startup stage right through to seven-figure months and, and through a pretty short short time frame of 12 months. Like that, that was a really fast growth period. So kick it off, Tyler. Let's just... You know, introduce yourself to the audience a little bit, your background, how you got into e-commerce marketing, and and I guess how you ended up at Right Hook. There we go. Absolutely. So, hi, Tyler. Um, been in the industry for, we're going on six years now. A little bit about my background and where I came from. I came from like a local startup agency that was fairly small and grew and started the social media department alongside a couple other employees. Took that from about three to 30 and with a ton of brands working with a ton of clients and quickly kind of realized, yo, I am not in a position to actually focus in and scale up on certain brands and businesses that I saw potential in. And the name of the game was really, you know, how can we get more? How can we get more? And in that process, I started to get a little bit frustrated and was like, I don't want to do digital marketing this way. I want to do it a different way. So of course, I started looking in YouTube, I started looking around to which I found Mr. D. Ding talking at Affiliate World Conference about how he does business and how his agency is growing. So from that video, I was like, man, I really want to get involved with this guy. I want to pick his brain, see what he's about. And lo and behold, not even a week later, I see a post from some guy named Raymond Johnston in a Facebook group about Right Hook Digital. And I'm like, oh my gosh, if this isn't a sign from God, I don't know what is, I have to do this. So I signed up for the interview, got into Right Hook and man, it's been almost, it'll be two years in September. It's you know, crazy. what's really funny. That's crazy that- how fast that's gone. <laughs> I've actually stopped posting in Facebook groups because I thought they didn't work. I actually had no idea that it was from a Facebook group that you actually saw the ad posts. I'm going to have to start resharing again. That's what I'm saying, man. You got guys working with NFL teams and major global brands in those Facebook ad groups. <laughs> I love it. It's awesome. It's awesome. Um, yeah, that, that, that video of Jesus has caught a few people's attention. We get that feedback a, a bit. It's, uh, it's interesting how people get get sucked in by a certain um, piece of content and it, and it really flows from there. But yeah, two, nearly two years, man. It's, it's been a, it's been a pretty big journey. Like even in terms of like how we've changed since you've been with us and the journey that you've gone with a few clients, like there, there's yeah. been some, some big accounts that you've taken control of. So let's, let's dive into one in particular. So obviously not going to disclose who the client is, but um we're talking the direct-to-consumer jewelry space. They came to us at a pretty early stage, right? Like they were only doing about 40K a month, I think, at the time. Um, it was yep. less than and that, right, Tyler? It was, right. it, less was less, it was a little bit less than that. I believe the yearly average was closer, was under 40, and they had kind of hit. They started to hit that 40 kind of cap right when we came in. Nice. And then within, within a 12-month period, I think last Black Friday, we hit – like uh, we had your first seven figure month with them. Mm. Yep. Yep. And then another one followed up after that. And nice. The rest is history. Well, let's, let's go back to the start of that journey. And, and when you first started onboarding them, um, just take us back to a little bit, you know, where were they at in their business? What were the bottlenecks? Why weren't they able to get past where they were at that point in time? And, and what that, that journey started like? I think a really important part of what we do uh, and something that we don't take into consideration is the business owners in the business owner's perspective and where they're at, regardless of their business, but the people that are actually behind the business. So let me give you a little background there. It was two dudes 
in a super tiny office in a really big popular city in the United States that I'll keep anonymous. But it was two guys running a giant show um, in charge of manufacturing, right? So right there, inventory, not an issue. Huge, huge upside, huge, huge plus. So inventory not being an issue, these guys have dabbled in the market. Clearly, they were seeing some traction and they were getting it off the ground, but they were ultimately like, yo, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what it looks like to start scaling this. Like there's potential here. So that's when enter right hook. So the initial chasm goes through these guys gross margin. When I saw the margin on their products, I was like, holy shit, there is so much profitability here. These guys can make so much money. They had a decent conversion rate. Their AOV was solid being jewelry. You know, it's not super high end jewelry. So it's not an astronomical AOV, which got me even more excited because I'm like, yo, that means purchase volume is going to be not an issue here. A lot of people can afford our stuff. So that was through our chasm, our audit process that I saw all these positive signs. And that's of the business. Now, the business owner himself, a gem, a gem of a guy, completely egoless totally under the assumption of i don't know what i'm doing and i'm here for you to help like you're the expert tell me what to do i'm down to do it so right out of the gate those are the two like yo how's your business look very important to scale but two the other factor that's undersold is where are you at as a business owner like what where are you at mentally and those big boxes were both checked green and uh, that's that's where we kind of hit the ground running Man, I reckon you've hit on some really key points there for, for any brand that's looking to scale and scale quickly. Like you've got to have the, there's a few foundational things that you have to have, right? First, you have to have like metrics that work, scalable business metrics. So you have to have really strong gross margins. You've got to have that room to move to be able to spend to acquire customers. So you've got, you've ticked that box. You've, uh, you've got to have someone who's got logistical supply chain sorted. Otherwise, you're just not going to be able to scale and grow. Obviously, the second part of that is having the capital to be able to, you know, scale quickly as well. And then the mindset side, like if you, if you can't let go of things, if, you, if you're micromanaging, if you're a control freak, that's going to really become a bottleneck to a growth. So it sounds like at the start, you could see that those three things were really, really in place and, and, and ready to, to blow things up. Totally, totally. I remember, I remember a year ago with them, I remember when we first started working with them you were so pumped and jazzed up just around the mindset uh, you I remember you saying that these guys they want to test everything because because they don't have a, 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 a an opinion about what's going to work they just want to test it like man like I love to just hear from you like how did that free you up because I, I remember you you still scale them pretty quick like like 12 months it's a long time but it's also a short time to go from your business from the 40k to over a million so it's actually a really quick trajectory if you really think about it and so with that, like, what did that free you and your team up to do? Like, cause like, I know you guys tested a lot, wild stuff, stuff that was super on brand and like, and the rest is history. So please dive into that. Yeah. So right out of the get go, the way it makes me feel as a strategist is one, I can start instantly building rapport and developing a relationship with that person because I'm like, yo, this guy is in sync with me. I vibe with this person. So the relationship, the foundation of it was built on like stone allowing me to be free and loose and choose like yo we don't know if it's carousels in top of funnel we don't know if it's videos in top of funnel we have no idea about anything like everything needs to grow including the content the content quality um scott kind of touched on it a little bit right budget is also another huge factor and i think during that process of growth and during those initial phases of scale, how quick can you produce creative and how much money can you put behind this stuff? Um, if you can put behind money and you can produce creative content for us when we need it quickly, there's no excuse really on our end to not find something that works. And if it's a core issue with the website or CRR or something outside of our control, we'll also be able to identify everything quicker. Um, and that, I think, was the most, I could see that then. I, I couldn't put words to it when the relationship first started, but I seeing that little glimpse of what the future might hold and could look like, I was jacked up like never before. This was the reason why I left my agency, my previous agency. I saw it. I'm like, if I can do this, this proves and validates every crazy foundational life shift that I just did to get here. 
So it was, I was stoked. Like this was my reason with this client. On the budget side, because I obviously it's easy to look back and, and see what happened and like hindsight is 2020, but what kind of constraints did you have in the very beginning? Cause like obviously to go from what they spent back then to what you spend now, there must've been some constraints. Like, was there like a funding constraint? Was there, cause like looking back, you're like, Oh, I could have done this in six months. I could have done it in three months knowing what you know now. But like, like what are those constraints? It was honestly, all the constraints were me. Um, in the beginning of this client journey, I wasn't asking for more budget to test faster. I was slow and steady rinse the race. Typically, that's how I've seen brand scale in the past. So in the beginning, I'm like, okay, I've got something really good going here. How do I not break it? How do I not F this up? Like, take it my time and go slow and steady. And sure enough, within, I believe the first round of testing, we actually kind of flopped. And it was the first testing. I think we hit like break even return on ad spend for the guys. And, but we did see like high engagement in a couple different creative types, specifically carousels that looked promising. So we, we then catered it. Okay, switch gears. Now let's focus on a couple iterations of this carousel. And we ended up finding one carousel that quickly started catching heat. And once I saw that heat catching and seeing crazy top of funnel returns like 8X and 10X, when I see numbers like that, I'm not, yay, 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 let's celebrate. When I see numbers like 8X and 10X, I'm like, let's spend some more money because that's just revenue I'm leaving on the table. Like I got to put cash behind that so I can be making more revenue for them. Ironically enough, and this is total sidebar here, that carousel that initially scaled their business was just turned off last week. It had accounted for so much revenue for you so You got to love long. a winning ad, don't you? You got to love a winning ad, man. Jesus, I've seen them <laughs> die. You get the right one. You get the right I've, one. I've seen them die in a day. This thing lasted over a year. And the reason why we turned it off was still not 100% performance. It was because the creatives are so dated. We have professional studio quality photo shoots. We hire a bunch of influencers. We work with a lot of content creators and have really leveled up the brand's image in general. So it was still like, the business owner was like, bro, I'm going to ask you again, like, can we turn this off? And I'm like... Yeah, it's like cutting up an arm. Yeah, right, it, sure. it hurt me. <laughs> let's 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 just go back a little bit there because I think this is really really interesting. I think there's there's often an expectation that you just switch ads on and boom, shit explodes and it's easy and you <laughs> scale to the moon. <laughs> it's it's like crypt, <laughs> cryptocurrency style and what did that test phase look like? Like you know, like we've seen brands where it's taken three, four months, you know, you, you set a, a, a testing plan, you prioritize and often, you know, how long it takes to hit that right creative, like you've highlighted, totally. that can take a day, that can take a week or just because of order of prioritization in the way you've structured your testing, that could take two, three months, depending on how many variables you've got, right? Like it, you might be have different personas, different angles, different messaging, different creative visuals, UGC, product focus, whatever. There's so many combinations and it can be that one bit of creative that cracks an account open. Totally. What, what, did, what did that look like for, in, in this situation? Absolutely. And I'll never forget a wise man named Ray once told me early on, you're always one ad away from cracking the funnel. You're always one ad away from cracking the funnel. So clearly I'm disclaimer. I'm a principles dude. I'm not, I don't vibe very well with talking about tactics. I'm more interested in why you're doing whatever the hell you're doing. But with that why, you can really drill down and get scientific. So when it comes to creative testing, it, of course, you, you know, you're spending money, you're making money, you're losing money. What are you, what's going on? And how do you set up some parameters and some rules around the board to be successful? So that all links straight to these core KPIs. These core KPIs I'm looking at, and specifically here, CPA, is the CPA based off of their break-evens? What does it take to break even at a CPA dollar? So how much do I need to spend before I can say, yes, this is working or no, this is not? And then I can kind of keep a pulse on that CPA throughout the testing phase. Give it some, give it some times, you know? Am I getting five purchases today or am I getting 50? What's my CPA look like? Is it changing? It's, there's dynamism to Facebook advertising. There's dynamism to advertising in general. Like what's working now will not work sometime in the future guaranteed so these core kpis 
let that data does the driving, not my emotion of what I think or what I feel. So mapping out maybe five to 10 creatives, setting up a budget that's appropriate to see and have these KPI benchmarks and check marks, see if I'm spending enough. What does it look like? If Am I hitting that KPI or am I not hitting that KPI? And it doesn't have to be purchase. It could be less. It could be from add to carts. It could be from content view. It could be through even click-through rates. Like I can whittle it down to let the data completely do the driving for me. So I'm literally just making decisions based off of facts, not how I feel. Exactly. Like you, so, you need those soft, those soft metric benchmarks throughout your funnel to know what's working and what's not, whether you're on track. You know, I got another question that sort of ties into this with your, your CPAs and your targets, because a big part of being able to grow aggressively is really your mindset towards acquisition and cost versus retention and profit on the back end. You've got different situations, right? Like you've got your mom and pop e-com store owners who often need to, or, you know, their approach is often by necessity because they're relying on it for income that they need that 20, 30% profit on the front end, or that's their target. But that often becomes a glass ceiling to their growth, right? Because especially with Facebook getting more expensive and changes that are happening, that may not be a, a, a viable approach anymore. In this situation, what was that, you know, what was the, the, the client's mindset and approach with, along with you towards the acquisition cost? You know, were you looking at it going, if we can break even on acquisition and we can profit on the back end, or was there a target profit margin on the front end? Um, because that can really determine how, how much volume you can drive and how quickly you can scale, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So you know me, there's a reason why I'm in charge of the chasm slash audit process at right hook. And one of the number one things that I break in that kind of, I would say conditioned, if you're a business owner working with agency, you're conditioned to give a ton of shits about return on ad spend. That's flat out. Like ROAS is what you deem as good or bad with your service. I break that right out of the get-go with um, our ROAS assumption modeling calculator, where we talk about forecasting and we look at what happens if I'm operating at break even versus a 3X because I'm spending five times as much and acquiring five times more customers. What does that look like? The, the concept I always explain that people seem to really grasp here is go to your local grocery store. Anytime you're at a local grocery store and you're spending, you, you know, you go in, you spend $100 and they're trying to get you to sign up for their rewards card so you can get exclusive sales, discounts, and maybe they even give you $100 of free gas fill-ups just to get you in. And all you did is spend $100. It's because they're not looking at you at that $100 that you're spending this week. They're seeing you as $400 a month. They're seeing you as $4,800 per year. And that's what this loyalty thing is. And that's why getting involved at this grocery store is so important because you're not just that $100 today. You're that $4,800 per year. And having that conversation with business owners, they're like, oh my God, that makes so much sense. I totally get it now. And then the focus then became, can really become customer acquisition. And we luckily have our calculators that we use to look at customer lifetime value, forecasting projected to make sure that the CLTV is where we need it to be in order to continuously stay profitable. Tyler, that particular brand, obviously when they first came on, we didn't know all their CLTV because like they haven't been in business that long, but as you guys grew and scaled and had some of that historical data, like how, how did that change how you ran the ad account? Like, and, and also did you guys like readjust KPIs? Like the more data you had come in? The more data we had, we for sure adjusted KPIs. Um, CLTV was always important to us, but we weren't super drilled down on it. Like, like this growth happened quick. So we were always looking at our month over month repeat purchase rate kind of decreasing. And we're like, oh my God, this is awesome, right? Like our return customers were going down the percentage because the first time purchasers were through this freaking roof. And at the same time, as we're getting thousands and thousands of more first-time purchasers, that repeat purchase rate was still hovering around 20%, was still hovering, hovering around 30%, a healthy spot. So the whole entire process, we've never been outside of 20 to 30% month over month repeat purchasers. Which and that's awesome. Like that, I think that, that's nice. really key, right? Like you, you want to be as strong as you can on new customer acquisition while maximizing the repeat purchases at the same time 
It's like those, those are your two massive levers Man. which are going to drive long-term LTV. 100%. And what that looks like on the back end is, in my opinion, completely outside of Facebook. For, for me, Facebook is getting that first-time purchase, spreading that awareness. What happens outside of Facebook after they buy us and how they know about us? Like, did they sign up for your newsletter? Do you have an email like follow-up sequence in place? Like, how do you stay in, in these people's spaces once they've bought your product? Are you incentivizing reviews? Are you encouraging people to send you reviews by doing a giveaway of some sort of product or exclusive VIP? There's so much that happens besides Facebook that can really impact the CLTV metric. With that particular brand and when you were scaling up, I, I know while we run a lot of paid media, like it's very common that we offer not only consulting and other areas of their business, just like we, we jam so well with the brands that we work with, especially you and this brand is like, what kind of conversations you guys have and like decisions you guys made together? Cause obviously you saw the back end, you saw how strong it was, how solid it was, which helped you have the confidence to scale harder. So like, how did you guys constantly look at that and make those decisions okay let's increase here increase here or scale back because not every month was green not every month was like 20x the month before so like there were periods where things ebb and flowed right there's actually only been one month that wasn't necessarily green or growth and that okay, was so shit. we've got a unicorn here <laughs> these guys are freaks of nature man um but it's always been consistently uh and the client was always as excited to educate themselves about these new platforms, just as I was excited to tell them about it. Meaning I would speak about Clavio and I'd speak about email sequencing. Um, and these two guys, you know, one guy then all of a sudden, and this is pre-COVID times, saw that there was a, a local talk happening about Clavio, about email sequencing. He's like, shoot, I'm going to go. Like, I want to go. I want to learn. He buys a book about email marketing. He learns about it. Now we can jam about it. They take the time to establish the common language. So when I'm saying Clavio and I'm saying email sequencing, he's not like, what the heck is that? He's right there with me. And we're able to jam and work together on that stuff. Same thing with SMS and PostScript. Same thing with any sort of messenger bot that they might've set up. All, all, all of these things where we were educating, learning, and growing together on so many levels just besides Facebook. Nice. Um, I got, a, got another question around, it's very different scaling from, you know, that, that 40, 50K a month up to say 250K a month. And then getting from there to, to 500 a, mil a month. Like what were some of the challenges and strategy shifts that you had to do or some of the barriers that you found yourself hitting that had to drive changes in strategy and, and what did that look like? How did you guys execute on that? So there's, there's two different, again, there's always two fronts to all these questions. So my front looked like audience sizes, lookalike percentages, having to kind of get bigger and bigger to make sure I'm not blowing out frequencies through my entire funnel. We also tried some weird and wild crap when we decided to launch uh, new products. Like I did, a, I did a full funnel CBO of a collection that was just getting launched. And this full funnel CBO, I'm, I'm talking, it had bottom of funnel DPAs in it. It had middle of funnel ads, top of funnel ads, all of that jam-packed in one. This thing ended up providing us like, I believe in the first month of launch, uh, $250,000 this first wild time. Did, so did you, did, did you use any like budget caps in those ad sets or just let it all stay open? Initially I left it wide open. I'm like, right. because by you know, power five had been a thing that was talked about years ago and everybody hated CBO forever. Cause that thing sucked. And we were at this place where, you know, this is pre pre iOS 14, where I do think the pendulum is going to shift back away from power five. Yeah. Sidebar. It's going to get granular. I think. <laughs> Sidebar. It's get granular. So I don't think this will work anymore, but the timing of it happened to just go perfect, like free up Facebook to do Facebook on all these ad sets throughout the funnel. And then we did end up eventually putting caps and spend limits on the certain parts of the funnel. Tyler, what was like the linear thought toward, that made you come up with this test? That test right there, the full funnel uh, CBO, 
So that yep. came from that came from basically like shop talk. So me and the client get on the phone quite often, like definitely more than other clients, just because they're like my brothers. I, I mean, I've spent time in real life with these guys. They treated me like family. I, I love these dudes. Um, so we were talking shop one day and he asked me, what's the craziest non-traditional idea that you can come up with that you've wanted to test, but haven't ever tested? And I was talking, I was talking it through. And then that's what I landed on. I'm like, you know what would be batshit crazy? Like a full funnel CBO campaign. He says, do it. (laughs) He says, do it. Here's two grand a day. Go to town on it. And so, I mean, that's literally how the relationship has gone. And that's how much. That's such such a key thing. Having that type of mindset to just test things. Because that's the only way that you can. It's the only way that anyone who comes up with something new can uncover something new, right? Like you, you can only figure that out on your own if you've got a mindset that's looking at it as I'm buying data, I'm investing, I'm investing in trying to learn. It's, it's that fear-based mindset would not let you do that and you wouldn't have figured out that strategy that you've now been able to take and apply in other areas as well and across our team because a lot of our team went and started running that and it was working really, really well as well. It's... I think that 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 testing mindset from a from a, a founder standpoint is so key, and it's, it gives you so much more room to move and and do your job the best way you can. And and notice notice how I said he's he told me take two grand a day. Our AOV our AOV at the time was only around ninety dollars, only around ninety dollars, and he says two grand a day. I know if it's gonna I'm gonna learn if that's gonna work or not so fast so fast. So again, it's totally to what you're speaking. There is no fear mindset going into this. There is no fear of like, should I be spending this money? Because if I was doing this at $10 a day, it would take forever to make a decision as to is this working or is this not? Because we would simply not have that spend. And it's, it's, it's like, it's risk reward, right? Like, let's just say that you did that for five days, you spend 10 grand and Worst case that broke even, like, you know, it's probably going to convert. Maybe, maybe you lost 20 or 30%. Upside, if it works, you've got a strategy that could literally drive hundreds of thousands of dollars. And that's like that. I think that's how you've got to look at these tests and look at it. Okay. Like they're short, there's risk. I might lose a little bit of money, but if I you know, uncover something that works and works really well, it's scalable. I always That's kind of look, I always kind of looked at like courses and things like that in the same light. Like if there was something that I wanted to learn, like if if I can go if I pay for a course or something, and there's value in it, if I can find one nugget that I can apply at scale, what the hell's five hundred or a thousand dollars or something like that? If it's something that I can take away and apply into my business or apply, you know, anywhere else, and and, and it can drive tens of thousands of dollars in in revenue, it's such and a mind shift thing, bro. It's that thing. is the shit that I am all about. That is the essence of like principle. You have to look at every, there is a cost associated with everything. There's a cost for me, associated with me being on this podcast right now, because I'm not looking at their account or making changes in their account. That's a cost. So you have to, if you can learn to see that cost and not think of it as, you know, it's, it's literally a dollar amount you're assigning to a lesson that you're willing to learn. And if, as long as you're learning a lesson, you can make great investments, some better than others, but there are your time and that money that you're spending to learn this lesson. It, it's up to you to take away and apply whatever the heck it is that you learn from it. And that's not just digital marketing advice. That's life advice. We often get into mindset so much here. And I think just thinking about e specific, especially like this brand that we're talking about like the more you grow the more you have to test and the, the more if anything like you have to adopt that mindset so i think a, a big mental shift that we see it we often see a right hook is some of these brands like they have the wrong mindset like they think that that's money going down the drain like all they see is just the cost and the risk what they don't see is the learnings the buying of data and like if anything the faster you can go through those cycles and those iterations it's actually a direct indicator of that success like i mean look, let me just look at the brain that you work with Tyler. like i mean how many tests do you think you probably run in the past year uh, there's way too many i would literally have to go through my change log and i'd have to go away for like 2 to 3 hours to get you an actual list of every single thing that we tested it's, it's never ending, right? It's just 
it's infinite because there's, there's an infinite things you can test as well. Like it's never going to end. Yeah. So example of like latest thing we're testing, it's super wild. It's coming. It's like a three front approach here where we're using a super clout based influencer that's known for something that is not related to our product, but has we deem and have seen through our audience over time has high affinity, particularly shoes. So we're using a high clout shoe brand ambassador to promote a giveaway that we're doing at the same time as we're promoting all this giveaway hype and all this giveaway stuff at the very end of the giveaway we're launching our new 20 products that uh, specifically are not we are personalized jewelry up until now now we're going into fashion jewelry so we're using this huge influencer launching this giveaway campaign and at the same time we're about to follow up on the back end with a brand new product launch that's all about you know, anybody wearing everything, our market share and who can we can actually sell to has just like the roof has blown off. Like there's so much upside potential. And that is another thing I think as this growth and as the scale is happening for business owners, these dudes were hungry and are hungry the entire time. Grateful for every single step of the way, but never slowing down to be like, oh, this is cool. Like no time off, man. We're entrepreneurs out here. Like we're grinding, we're getting hit in the face and we're continuing forward nonstop. Because it's, it's not about making the money to spend the money. It's, it's just not. about growing. It's the challenge of it, right? Like that's, 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 that's why you get up in the morning. And I think that's, you know, that's, that's a commonality between you, you, that you see between across the people that really love it and really want to grow and really want to grow aggressively. The money is just a, a byproduct, right? Like it's a bit of a scorecard, but it's not about that. Um, you touched on the influencer side there. I'm, I'm curious as to that probably ties into it. Like what were, what were the, the strategy shifts and, and additional channels that you had to start looking at once you started getting past that half a million a month? Because you can need to start looking at other things, diversifying traffic sources a little bit. And there's obviously, you know, that they all tie in together strategically. Uh, so how did, how did that look like? And, and what were some of the things you focused on to, to keep pushing that, that bar higher? For sure. So a lot of something these guys have always done well, even before us, was getting involved with their community and getting involved with influencers. So at no point was I, I was just consulting this whole time uh, on things, but naturally and organically, they were crushing it. Um, so, you know, we started in the beginning with a lot of influencers, um, really smaller accounts, right? Smaller accounts that we would send maybe a piece of jewelry to. And we'd have them get a couple shots and they would get to keep the jewelry, right? We'd make them a necklace. We'd make them a ring, a bracelet, whatever they like. They get to keep it. Um, another benefit to being a manufacturer, right, is it doesn't cost us a lot of money to make the stuff. So we would give them to these people and they would start shouting us out. Then we started doing some, you know, bullshit fire festival stuff where we're doing coordinated influencers of all kinds of tiny sizes at the same time. And we'd pull up Shopify, watch the site traffic go up. But then over time, really what happened was it, it, it became more of a movement within the customers, which I think plays a huge part in the CLTV. The fact that the customers would see everyday people and so many different people posting about brand, posting about what it felt like, how it looked when they wore it, how dope it was. In natural, the natural progression, right? People follow into what everybody else is doing. So next thing you know, when our orders were only a couple hundred, we'd maybe get five or 10 people post on our ads uh, when they would get their product and be like, hey, this is so sick. Look, I just got mine today. Uh, and to now in the point where we're seeing tens of thousands of purchases happening, that's hundreds of these posts on any ad that we're making. Meanwhile, the influencer game is still ramped up to the point now we're paying for a little bit higher clout uh, traffic and promotions, right? Like, I mean, 100K followers, half a mil followers, bigger name accounts are starting to talk about our stuff, which exposes us to new audiences, which in turn kind of has that compound effect on our ads. So now when I post new ads, it takes me about a month to see thousands of people engaging, commenting, posting. People are like, how long does this take to ship? How long, when will I get my product? People are are organically our brand ambassadors. People organically are doing Q and A's. Meanwhile, we have a dope customer service system, which is another key factor, I think, 
in any brand's growth and journey, how are you treating the people that are buying your stuff? Their customer service has continuously leveled up so much. And I believe Zendesk is what we use uh, on the back end for that. We have automated flows that tie into our shipping system, which will let them know at which stage it's at in manufacturing. So they would text us uh, a certain word or update, and it would check the system and spit back where it's at in the manufacturing process, letting them know how many more days they're going to have to wait. That's cool. And- Visibility is such a huge so part of that, right? Yeah. Everyone just wants to know where their order is, what's happening with it, how long it's going to be. It's just those little little updates. I always found that with, with SMS marketing, like that was a great way to condition people into a positive experience with SMS marketing. Totally. Just have those SMS updates saying your order's in process. It's being shipped. It's on its way. It's been delivered. Like whenever I, we did that at the start, I always found that the experience was better and it allowed you to then, you know, use it as a marketing channel. Whereas oftentimes you put your mobile number in somewhere and someone's com- and you've completely forgotten about it. And then three months later, you get a random SMS from someone asking for a sale. And you're like, 100%. what the delete, stop, get the- get- lose my number. Just because you've had it, like, there's this been no relationship built through that channel. So I, I love, I love that you guys are, are looking at these like little micro wins from a community. And, and what's surprising like- is that, those those email and SM, those email SMS receipts on like shipping updates and like manufacturing updates, because like we do that for a few of our brands. Like they actually have some of the highest revenue per recipient of people who opt into it, which is so fascinating, right? They love it so much mm-hmm. that they're actually buying again. What is that even possible? Apparently, it is. My my big red flag, huge disclaimer to anybody starting email sequencing, SMS follow ups, any sort of automation, do not sound like a robot. Nobody wants to hear from a robot. So don't say like your your package is in day three at the manufacturing facility. It will arrive in three to five shipping days. Like don't talk like that. Like be like have some fun with it. Have fun, man. Be like we celebrate when our when our shipping is delivered, we send a like celebratory text that says, Time to get up and check that front door. Your package just arrived with a bunch of like confetti emotes and stuff. Like it's a celebration. Like it's Stuff like, yo, it's here. Finally, your thing. And then they see it. And next thing they, they're like, yo, it is here. They're excited. They want to post about it. They want to talk about a, it. Such an opportunity to convey the personality of the brand. Exactly. So like have, don't, don't sound like a robot. Your brand has a voice. Your audience resonates with a certain type of messaging. Find it, use it, test it, change it. Amazing. 100%. Was it, were there any other channels that you, you, you shifted to um, or, or tested out? during sort of that, those later stages of scaling there? Later stages of scaling and where we're at now, um, we, Google was always a big part of it. We didn't manage the Google, but I actually personally wanted a relationship with who was managing their Google stuff so I could be having conversations. So Google kind of grew with us. Google is a static like platform. It's very, it's very chill. You know, you have your search impression share, lost to rank, lost to budget. It is what it is. You kind of find your caps relatively quick because of those two dope columns. Um, but the other platforms we started messing with like TikTok and Pinterest, you know, TikTok specifically, whoa, crazy low CPMs, so much exposure and so much just traffic. We've seen, seen it as kind of another Facebook, right? Uh, not as such an intent-based platform, but still a discovery platform. So much cost-effective traffic that it was driving insane. By the time we were driving this traffic, we had already had all of our infrastructure ironed out, tested, set in stone. We know that our emails convert. We know that our texts convert. So if someone came to the site and decided to sign up for our newsletter, we're just like, yo, it's a matter of time. So if we would have tried to force these other platforms, or if we would have been like, yo, let's launch TikTok on month two because we're growing and scaling, it, it had to happen exactly how it happened for all to allow these things to get in place, to allow these platforms to be tested and set up. And so now- is, your, is your objective a little different there then? Like, are you looking at Absolutely. a TikTok? Okay, so how, how are you guys approaching that from a, an objective standpoint and like allocating budget to it? Allocating budget to TikTok right now is strictly based on like discovery. So we're looking at such micro metrics to see good click-through rates. Of course, and and with TikTok too, unlike other platforms, it has its own pixel. 
right? So all this effort and all this work in this seasoned Facebook pixel I have, that data, useless on TikTok. TikTok is a fresh start. So with that fresh start, it's fun because you kind of work your way back up a pixel from optimizing for V content, and then maybe you're going to get enough ad to cart so you can finally do purchases. So we're in that process. But the meanwhile, it's just all cheers and celebration because we see all this new traffic coming to the website, which looking at Shopify and looking at our costs, our marketing expense ratio, we can see that that is still like playing, playing a part of it. We don't care exactly how much because it's so much new traffic. It's like a new frontier for us. We're just excited that we get to keep growing into something new. Same with Pinterest, which has a little bit more of a direct conversion like, report. It seems like you guys kind of came in with like no big like preconceived notions on it. You, you, you took it for what it is and you're just going to test it, right? So that's kind of like the mindset still, right? They, they just want to test it until you crack it, right? They just want to test. They just want to test. Like, yo, being a business owner is stressful enough. There are so many things that stress you out as you're figuring out fulfillment, trying to control your costs, inventory, cash flow. There's so much that's so stressful. Like, it's testing. a bit of a long game too, though, right? Like, I, I oh, see that that platform, right? Like, you, if you go back and think about Instagram and then Snapchat, what were people saying at the start? Oh, it's only people under 18 on it. They don't buy, blah, 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 blah. And what happened five years later? Boom. Those people get older and have jobs and spend money and start buying stuff on those platforms. And they still use those platforms because I've grown up with it. And I see TikTok, you know, and I think TikTok's evolved so quickly that you do see a lot of older people using it anyway. Oh. But that younger generation, like if, if TikTok continues on the trajectory that it is, in five years time, that's going to be a lot of older people who are using it and it's probably going to become a much stronger platform. So if you can build that audience now and build that following now, I, like even if it's a small amount of your budget, like I, I see that really paying dividends down the road. And, and like that, and that's the, my whole point is like, have, have fun, right? When you're going to these new platforms that are still not matured, not Google's, not Facebook's yet, that are so into ad revenue dollars associated, like, Go in there and have fun. Like you can, there's no such thing as a music license on TikTok. You can put the weekend's top chart after the Super Bowl track on your ad and show, you know, your jewelry or your product banging out like the number one jam of the, the month and get away with it right now. So like have fun with stuff, man. Like you got to go to these new platforms in a fun mindset. And if you have these strict, stringent expectations or you're not in a healthy place from a business owner standpoint, I would say hold off. Get your house in order first before you start trying to do any additions or add-ons to your house. So you mentioned we're on the conversation of TikTok and you mentioned like having fun. So I'd love for you to just like, like tell us like what kind of things were you starting to see that were working pretty well? Like maybe creative as well as if you want to just go a little tactical for a second, the yeah. creative, but also like the strategy, like what was actually working well on that platform? So we did some really cool stuff. One tracking conversions and tracking, like getting down to the nitty gritty metrics, like you want to know if it's profitable or not. So we found ways to use uh, redirect links in our ads to apply specific TikTok coupons to checkout. So we could check these coupon codes to see how many purchases were we getting? Was it profitable? Did it actually make sense? So that's like a tiny little tactic that I think everyone should do. In terms of creative, native. Native creative on TikTok, on these other platforms, Pinterest too, make it native. Don't make it look like some standout ad. Like if it doesn't fit in with the platform, people aren't going to vibe with it. And we found that out quick. So we started taking, you know, lifestyle photos with, you know, our girls wearing whatever they might be wearing and, uh, you know, a Nike shoe. They're putting on their Nike sneakers or something that's very like on brand and trendy with us. And it looks cool on TikTok. And once you have one or two creatives that are, are kind of killing it for you, TikTok has this thing called quick optimizations, which is might be one of the dopest features I've ever seen on an ad platform. You literally press one button and it will spit out three different variations of your creative that change. It automatically applies TikTok filters. It will switch up the music. It will give transition effects to videos. And you can continuously click that button 30 times for one ad so you have one winning ad that's with, epic yeah dude yeah. with like five button clicks I don't know that. Yeah. do you pick the iterations or do they randomly suggest iterations like music and things totally like that? random 
totally random. Some are going to be absolute trash. So don't think you're going to find like a gold mine here. You got to kind of still take the time to look at them. They're 10 second videos, you know? That's look a hell of a time saver though. That. That's great. <laughs> yeah, man. But think about it. Just think about like the trajectory TikTok's on. Like, think, like honestly, like think of Facebook 2014, like in 15, the ads were not that great. But like no. time 16, 17, obviously 18, like and like here we are today. Like I bet, dude, like in the next couple of years, that ad optimization is going to be freaking on point. So, so true. So true. And that's why, you know, talk, talking again, stressing the fact that that data you're making on whatever platform you're on right now, that's not TikTok. If you're on TikTok and generating that data, you're going to be in such a better position to scale and be successful with a learned TikTok pixel in a couple months or a year or wherever it may be. Like do it now, but again, only if you're comfortable and cash healthy with where you're at. If it's not, it's not going to be the thing that solves all your problems. It's just if you're a successful business and doing well now, it can be that next frontier for you and your business. I think it's important to, like for e-com brands, and Kyle, you said it several times, and I just love the, the mentality that you were in the partnership that you have with this brand on like having fun, testing things. Like the, you guys don't look at the money as, again, like as a sunk cost. It's like a buying to learn, right? You're buying data. Because I think like with, with TikTok's pixel, why this is important is, especially for the people listening that want to try this for their e-com brand, it's very different in that it takes time. You have to actually drive ads money from your ads to those picks that pixel and only when pixel events fire from ads can it begin to accumulate and then you can actually create custom audiences and optimize for those events so just kind of be with the understanding that like there is a significant amount of investment you know a couple grand probably you have to actually go into to build up that data to start optimizing for like the view content add to cart and the purchase events that tyler mentioned and i think it's just great that 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 brand and like you, Tyler, that you guys like were okay with that journey. And obviously now it's paying off. And that, and you know, that is what you just said, like is worth repeating. It's super important. You can install TikTok's pixel now and you can get that data in now, but you cannot use that data unless it's generated from the ads. So it will be recognizing view contents on your website. It will be recognizing ad to carts. But if that's not coming from an ad, that session isn't driven from an ad you have money behind, it will not count towards that optimization. It will not count towards that learning that needs to happen on the platform. Yeah, that's just so key. So Tyler, like kind of, I love for just kind of zoom out on the macro level. Cause like as, as, this brand was expanding, scaling multiple platforms. Like you had to evolve your team, like your, your team had to evolve, like so many more moving parts. And I'm sure your tests exponentially increased. So can you like maybe like zoom out on the macro? Tell us like, how did you have to evolve and your team evolve to like face the demands of the growth? Love that question. And this was one of my early clients when I got to write hook. Like this is one of my first. So there's a lot of stuff I'm learning just about being a strategist at right hook. So in the beginning, here I am and I have all these support members and I'm this pod leader that's overseeing all these people. I was trying to micromanage everything, right? Like I didn't trust anybody to do anything like up to par. I'm like, I have to check the ads. I have to make sure the budgets are, I, I have to make sure the creative is like, it was overwhelming. So I think in time really loosening up who I am and being a leader that's not telling people what to do, but allowing people the space to ask me questions instead of me telling you exactly what to learn. I, and so as a leader, I feel like I've grown exponentially with this company. Like my personal growth is directly scaled up with this company because now I have this, we have our, of course, our processes, our daily things that have evolved over time. Like example, we do a middle of funnel organic Instagram post. We do a crawl every week where we take two to three of our best Instagram posts from IG organic and put them into ads that we test. That was not a thing that I was asking anybody to do. That was something that my media buyer was like, Hey, I think this would be a cool idea if we did this. Right. And so really catering to that culture of, Hey, what are your guys's ideas? What do you think we should do? What do you think we could do better? All, all the, those types of changes in leadership. Um, is what I think was another big bottleneck. Like I wanted to make sure I'm not being the bottleneck 
to this company's growth and scale. So I would say from, from a leadership standpoint, it was totally loosening up that, that need to try to control everything in, in being more like my client and just, yo, let's test, let's learn, let's grow. Like we got lessons to learn. Let's learn them quick, like fail fast. And I hate saying fail because it's not, a fa it, failure does not exist until you don't learn. Like if you're not learning, then you fail. If you mess up or make a mistake, if you learned a lesson, you didn't. It was just a cost associated with whatever the heck happened. The cost of learning that lesson. Some lessons cost a lot of money. Some lessons don't cost a lot at all. It's up to you. The failure is if you did it again, the same mistake. <laughs> that, that. Then you start to fail. <laughs> <laughs> so true. All right, I've got, um, I've got one more sort of larger question. So where you're at now, future pace, 12 months, goals, what do you think you're going to have to do to, to change, to, to hit those objectives? What, what, what does this roadmap look like going forward? I love, it, it, I love it. Because it, it's, it's, a, it's a big challenge going from one mil months to multi-seven-figure months. That's a, it's a big sure. leap. It's a bigger leap, right? So some, uh, here's, here I can tell you some risks that we see on the horizon. Uh, manufacturing capacity, right? How can we get bigger factories with more people to produce more for us? Huge investment, a big expense that's on the horizon. So, so starting to look at that now, um, we're looking at costs internally. You know, we're going, we have to start hiring more people. I, I told you, it started two guys in one room. We just bought, they just bought a ginormous office with room to grow. I think we have eight employees right now, but how's it going to look like when we're doing like 20 employees? What's that going to look like when we have manufacturing facilities in a couple different countries and regions? So considering those costs and looking at that and kind of you know, not letting it drive our deciding factors, but keeping a close pulse on it is, is key. Um, in terms of growth and what we're going to do next, how do we level up? Levels, continuously leveling up our influencers, continuously leveling up. You know, We're thinking of like loyalty programs, reward systems. All of these are basic things that some businesses, I think every business eventually should have a loyalty program, but when and how to execute it is totally up in the air, in my opinion. I, so, think, I think that's interesting though, because like a lot of people would probably hear that and go, wait, a seven figure a month business and they don't have like a loyalty or a referral program. But you looking at the time frame here, you 12 months in, you can't get everything you want and need in place in that time span. So like, I think you totally. need that context to the, to the growth trajectory too. Absolutely, absolutely. And if you have areas that are producing for you, again, keeping that house tidy the whole entire time as you're building and building on it is crucial. So don't, just because somebody says that, you know, you need this loyalty program right now, if you're crushing it on email and you still have all this opportunity with email, yo, focus, focus up on what's working. Get Double that down on what's out. working, man. Exactly. Yeah, we often see that, don't we? That's a big problem. Like we often see some of our brands, like the shiny object syndrome, like Bro. for example, like, they're already like crushing it maybe on Facebook or Google. And they're like, oh, I want to try this thing, this TikTok and Snapchat and Pinterest. But I'm like, dude, like, but you're only spending like 30, 50K a month. Like, or people, or people trying to scale internationally when there's no limit to scale in their own country. You know, I had this, exactly. had this conversation the other day. It's like, well, unless you're capping out in the country that you've got, why would you add more logistical like challenges to yourself? And, and you, because you go to another, another country, it's often like launching a new business again. That can take totally. time. And if you only half ass it, then you, you, you're not going to really know why it failed. Uh, I agree. Like you focus on what's working until it becomes a cap to your growth and then start worrying about where you, obviously I think as you, as you're growing, you want to be thinking about diversifying your channels and things a little bit, but like push as hard as you can on what's working to get to a certain point first. For sure. And just like you know, my personal opinion here, like this is why Google makes the most sense for an e-commerce brand to start. In my opinion, Google makes the most sense to start because you can quickly see what's my market share, where am I at, and what can I do about it? Especially, that's, that's for, especially for DTC, right? Like Woo! Google shopping is often the lowest hanging fruit and it's almost like that channel has gotten forgotten in the e-commerce sphere in a lot of ways because it's just Facebook and Shopify has become such a sexy, highly rapidly scalable thing that sure. 
that uh, Google Shopping over here has got gotten neglected a little bit, unfortunately. And, and I love that, Tyler. You have the Google experience because, like, like you mentioned, I mean, you run some ads on Google for like a couple of weeks. You can use that first-time impression share, or like, or you can actually look at the competitive metrics and actually see, for example, like how you rank up, like how big the competitive base is for your keywords, and and like that's why like I like to look at Google ads. Like, it's it's capturing demand, Facebook. And like social channels create demand. So like if you don't have the demand on the Google sure. platform, you want to scale. Cool. Now it's time to go and create that demand on social channels. Absolutely. And then and the the other beautiful thing being at Right Hook and being a strategist that we got to like honestly, there's it says Facebook strategist on my email right now. I absolutely hate that. It should say omni-channel strategist, one hundred percent, because it's not only that generate like you're saying some really key points about creating demand for a product. Now taking that UTM of that traffic that generated that demand, plugging it into Facebook. If I have TikTok, what am I doing? How am I following up with my TikTok traffic sessions on Facebook? It really starts to be an omni-channel presence that is simply the way that you're going to have to be successful. It's not going to be as easy as just starting a Facebook ad account and throwing a couple hundred dollars and having a 20x like those days are gone, man. Those days, and, the, and that's just how that's just how your functions had to evolve with the growth of their business, right? Like you can't just totally. be looking at that one channel; it's, it's it's looking at everything collectively. All right, we're All right. We're, we're we're getting there. We're getting towards the end. Let's, uh, Ray, Tyler, for I the end, you've got have a something few special. Fires. Yep, love to do some quick fires for you, Tyler. Something special. All right, we'll try to do some rapid fire questions. Here's some quick responses. A little bit get to know you as well. All right, Tyler, first one. Okay, favorite TV show. Ozark. Ozark. Wanted, Got it. Okay. I wanted to say Mad Men. I wanted to say Mad Men, but that's cliche. Ozark. Okay. Um, fa- favorite favorite brand you like to idolize to for creative inspiration? Nike. Check the hoodie. Nike. Awesome. Yep, it's a great one. Okay, Tyler. Um, favorite test you're running right now on the Facebook ad account? Uh, so we're doing a, a split test for landing pages right now that I'm really excited to see the results of. Awesome. Okay. Um, favorite success that you've had on that brand in the last six months? I think the biggest success I've had on that brand in the last six months was flying out to that really popular place in the United States and spending a week with these guys just celebrating and having the best. It was the best time I've had in marketing ever. Hang on. You came to the Gold Coast with us. Besides the Gold Coast. <laughs> well, I guess I did say six months, didn't I? So he said six months, bro. And there's an expiration associated. I'm sorry. True. Ooh, true. You're like, I, I recovered quickly on that one. Uh, last question. And that is, okay. Um, it, based off what you learned, what would be like the one key takeaway you would recommend other e-com brands based off of the trajectory that you've had the past 12 months? My one recommendation for other e-com brands would be, and it was repeated multiple times, keep your house tidy during your growth. Make sure you're getting everything you can out of what you have before you search for something you don't have yet. Be content. Be And that's life advice, by the way. Be happy with where you're at right now before you start seeking other things. Tyler, moving into the mindset coaching business already. Very nice. I hope I see a course soon, Tyler. Hey, there's a reason why I low-key about me. Right hook, pre-right hook was a 210-pound Tyler. Current right hook is a 158-pound Tyler. Like, different guy, different life. People don't even recognize me anymore. It's wild. Man, to, the, to see the way you've evolved over the last 18 months has been crazy. It's, it's actually, it's been really, really enjoyable to watch from, from my perspective, that's for sure. Um, Man, this has been a fire chat. Really, really enjoyed it. It's time to wrap it up, but I, I, I want to thank you for coming on, man. That was, I think, dropped some bombs and, and just some great insights into what it looks like a little bit behind the scenes, you know, not just working from an agency standpoint, but what those challenges look like and growing a brand, growing it quickly, how you have to have your head right, how you have to have your shop right. Appreciate you coming on, man. That was, that was amazing. Thank you. 
Yeah, I loved it, dude. Thank you guys for having me. So, I, so I can see honored. us doing this again. <laughs> Bro, so honored that the two people that interviewed me way back then are the guys that are doing a podcast with me now. I love it. I love it. Beautiful. Thank you, man. We'll see you again soon. Thanks again for tuning into this episode of the Growth and Greatness e-commerce podcast. I hope you got a ton of value out of this episode. And if you did, we'd love for you to leave us a review on your platform of choice and help us reach as many people as we can. Now, if you're a brand founder, an e-commerce entrepreneur, or an in-house marketing manager looking to accelerate your growth this year, reach out to us at Right Hook Digital. We're a performance branding agency, and we specialize in partnering with e-commerce brands to help them hit their growth goals with maximum ROI. Now, if this sounds like a solution that you need, then check us out at righthookdigital.com and schedule a call with our client partnerships team. They'd love to have a chat with you and see how we can help you grow in 2021.